Many times you're close to bankruptcy, many times there are other big issues. And great founders, they, uh, they find a way through that. And that tenacity is critical. Sometimes, you know, teams succeed not because they were the best one or not because uh, they had the best business model, but just because they didn't give up. Welcome to Screw It, Just Do It, the number one ranked entrepreneurship podcast for business owners, entrepreneurs, and those aspiring to be so. The aim of this show is to showcase the world's most inspiring and interesting people who've decided to screw it, just do it. We offer 20% inspiration and 80% education, giving you the tools and advice to start, grow, and scale a successful business. I'm your host, Alex Chisnell, fellow entrepreneur, podcast agency owner with a number one podcast and startup advisor to global startup generator and early stage VC, Antler. Each week, I release two episodes, a Q&A every Wednesday with one of the world's most inspiring figures, plus a solo episode every Saturday where I cover the challenges that all of us are facing as entrepreneurs. Welcome to episode 189 of Screw It, Just Do It. I'm your host, Alex Chisnell. And on today's show, I bring you the stories of five startup businesses all about to pitch for potential investment in Amsterdam in front of 250 plus Dutch investors. This was global startup generator Antler's demo day just a few weeks back in November. Founded in Singapore in 2017, Antler is a global startup generator and early stage VC that's building the next wave of tech. With a mission to turn exceptional individuals into great founders, Antler aims to create thousands of companies globally. They select the world's most brilliant and determined people, help them find the right co-founder and connect them to a top tier network of advisors and experts worldwide. I interviewed Antler's founder, Magnus Grimland, on episode 137 back in June, and who you heard the opening lines from to this podcast. Little did I realize that I'd be asked to become one of those advisors, offering advice to startups from Singapore to London, culminating in the recent launch of my first podcast course on an avid learning platform, an educational platform created by Charlotte and Alfonso, two co-founders from Antler's first London cohort that I've been working with. I was therefore super excited when I was invited to Amsterdam to witness their first cohort's inaugural demo day. So the story began for Amsterdam's cohort back in May when 70 individuals joined their first program in the Netherlands. During the first two months, 30 teams formed and presented to Antler's investment committee. 11 made it to demo day. Here are the stories of some of those exceptional individuals who made it to the stage in Amsterdam. First up is Piet Hein van Dam, founder and CEO of Clear, an intelligent AI-driven program that helps you manage a healthy lifestyle and connects the dots between sleep, diet, exercise and stress. So, Pete, tell me a little bit about yourself and your business. My name is Pete Hein. I'm CEO and founder of Clear. Um, I am uh, 52 years old, meaning that I'm the oldest in the cohort. 
they say politely, the most senior. <laughs> but, uh, and the most experienced. And the most experienced, that's for sure. 25, year, 25 years out, out there. Uh, I have a background in, uh, in P I have a PhD in physics and chemistry, and I have a background in growing data businesses. So okay. In, in businesses that monetize data, uh, that consumerize data, uh, in fintech, in adtech, uh, and many other areas, HR tech. Uh, and I joined Antler because uh, I realized that I didn't found any company from scratch myself. I always joined after MVP, and they um, and there I took it over from the existing founders okay. most of the time. So it was a request or the introduction of the investors that said, "Hey, listen, now somebody should scale it." Mm. I've done it several times. I've had two exits with it, uh, and I was always a bit um, always a bit uh, uh, afraid or. Uh, I was not looking forward to this pre-MVP phase. This is a phase where you're on your attic, on your own, mm. for four years, going out, finding your product doesn't work, making it better again, etc. So uh, when Antler said, Pete, we want you to join, um, I, uh, I said, yes, but this pre-MVP phase, you know, it's so tedious and uh, mm -hmm. I don't look, I'm not looking forward. And they said, actually, Pete, we're helping you with that. Right. With us, it takes half a year. We know about this pre-MVP phase, I've studied actually several of the companies that they have been investing in, and they were all within revenue, in revenue within six months. Were they? Nice. So okay. I, I thought, ooh, that, that's a nice proposition. And mm. actually, they, they deliver to it, right? Uh, so, um, and they said with us, it's steep and it's up or out, but you know, why not? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I joined. And uh, I was fascinated uh, in the early stages um, with, uh, by a discussion I had with, uh, with uh, George, the, the system biologist I, I founded this company with. Mm -hmm. He works at the AMC and, uh, and he, he had this great story about, um, about biological aging. He said science is so far that, uh, so far now that we know the interventions to stop your biological aging. So every day you get a day older, it's your calendar age, but your body doesn't have to age that fast. And he, um, and he said, I'm, I, w I was going to Antler because everybody I told this story said to me, where can I subscribe? Hmm. And then he thought, let's make a product where people can subscribe. Yeah. So we went out there, had more than 50 interviews about longevity and biological aging, etc. And uh, it was too big, you know, people didn't, didn't buy it. Or right. It was just what happens to me after 20 years and then I, 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 I perhaps I get healthier and then 30, whatever. Mm. So, um, and actually George was uh, at that point in time measuring all kind of stuff. He was almost like a biohacker, so he was measuring yep. all kind of stuff from, uh, by, uh, from himself. One of the things was he was measuring his, his uh, uh, blood glucose. So he had a patch that was uh, developed for diabetes patient. And he had a patch on his arm. And, and several people in the building were already asking, hey, what is that? And uh, George said, well, it's, uh, it's a patch. You can measure your response to food and you can see if, it, if it's good food for you or not. And uh, after that, he... Uh, at, and, and, and the people were saying, we're buying it, actually. You can buy it, this stuff, this stuff online. So he, uh, at a certain point, he, uh, he had like 10 people at his desk who bought the stuff and he was asking for advice. And, and I said, George, <laughs> we have a product. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah, yeah, ribbon yeah. around it. This is what we're going to do. Right. The, uh, the, the device itself is freely available. It's developed for diabetes patients. It costs 60 yeah. euros. Let's find out how much people are willing to pay beyond that yeah. for the service layer. So, uh, and actually, we're selling a program now for 199 euros. So oh, yeah. we designed a full program where people can 
can lock their food, their mood, their exercise, etc. Mm. And at the end, they find out which diet works best for them. Yeah. Because science is there's convinced, convincingly, uh, there's there's a lot of scientific evidence saying that that your response to food is personal. Mm. So there's not one good diet for everybody. But there is one good diet for you. Yeah. And that's how we started our business. So you're already bringing in revenue. We are. We are. We're four months out there. Amazing. We have uh, had a few. Uh, we've had uh, almost 100 people through our program. Yeah. We've had 200 people signing up for our program. All paying 199 euros. We have generated 32k gross revenues. So it's a business. Yeah, yeah. it's a business. Every Monday, there's a group of 20 people starting. Yeah. And okay. and, and for a two-week journey. Yeah. And together with us and with a WhatsApp group and with a nutritionist that answers all their questions, etc. Mm. And afterwards, we give them back a whole report saying these are the things that you ate that you react well, and these are the things that you should avoid. And at the moment, what what's your capacity for taking people on then? We're almost at capacity. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. So we, as I'm saying, 20 to 30 yeah. people per week is, is max capacity. So this is why we are now having a, a second, uh, our seed investment round is yeah. to make sure that uh, we have uh, sufficient capacity to run this and to automate the whole process. Because mm. this is a high touch business where people really like to come in. And sometimes they ask us, could you please apply the patch? Doctor, well, they don't say doctor, but yeah, you know, this is like so it's high touch business. But we were, were, we were first investigating this whole customer journey and then making sure that we have an app that goes along with the program so people can do it themselves. And um, how long did it take you to decide on the price point? I think, well, we are still experimenting, still experimenting, yeah, yeah test, test, test yeah, again. You know, there are if you okay. if you go to in the Netherlands, if you go to health programs and health clinics. You start with 500 euros, right? Uh, and then it's a lab test with three consults, etc., etc. So we are not going to that price point, no, because we're more automated. But, yeah. uh, and I didn't tell you about the benefits yet of the program. Please tell me. <laughs> <laughs> so when you join, and you're happy to join, if you want, you can join the program as well. Also yeah, to, uh, to, uh, I've just had all my DNA results well, coming from this company yeah. um, called DNA Circle, yeah. meant to be like the world's global leader. In that. Yeah. And I had, I've got a call next Monday when they talk me through like the 500 reports I've got, which include nice. like my food and stuff, which yeah. was uh, you know deficient in the B vitamins, all yeah. this kind of stuff. But I'm really wow. really interested. Have you seen the report already? Yeah, I've seen the report, and I've um, so my background is health and fitness, so I've had like sports injury clinics and stuff like that. So I'm really really interested in that. So nice. yeah, I'd, yeah, I'd love to. Go for it. You can join yeah. the program and then uh, um, blog a bit about it, you know, what yeah, your experience absolutely. Because this is, this is yeah. real time, right? Yeah, so 100%. I just, I just had a, uh, a pizza for lunch, a yeah. pizza slice, by the way, and, uh, and um, that's not good, but I'm in the program, so I'm testing and I can show you here that there's this, this little app on my phone yeah. and then it connects to the chip uh -huh. and then it says, uh, this is how you react on your pizza which is this little, this peak here, which is for me, if you compare it to the whole, my whole profile this morning, it's quite a peak. Yeah, it is, right? absolutely. So this pizza, I'm I should looking at it. Yeah, yeah, glucose, yeah, I can see it. Amazing. Yeah, so this is real time. Actually, real time. Yeah. Real time. So if I do this well, if I follow this, if this diet that keeps me at a flat glucose level, then my energy is more sustained during the day. Yeah. I don't gain weight because this excess of energy that's in these peaks that is stored as fat, right? Mm. So when you have a flat profile, you don't have these peaks, so you don't have this, this fat storage. Yeah. 
and uh, you don't, you're less prone to chronic diseases like diabetes 2, even cancer and, and uh, cardiovascular diseases. Mm. So we need to stay flat on our blood sugar profile as much as possible. So you haven't tried the pizza every one hour? <laughs> no, I shouldn't have looked at that crazy. But I, out, yeah. I out-engineered my, uh, my breakfast, so I know exactly what to eat now for breakfast and for lunch to have yeah. this sustained profile. And, and remind me again, how many people have been through the program now? Now, uh, about 100. About 100. Yeah, 200 have subscribed okay. in total. Well, that's pretty good for a couple of months in, surely. I think so, too. Yeah, yeah, Thanks yeah. Thanks for your compliment. No, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, we, you know, we, it's, uh, we see the same traction. It's good, you know? Yeah. And it's a consumer product, so, so we're helping people every day. Yeah. There are these WhatsApp communities where people are sharing, I haven't thought about this and how great. And I always thought I would do great on apples, but I'm not. Mm. Uh, we have this, this, we're sponsoring this Olympic athlete for the uh, Beijing Winter Games in 2022. She screened the complete diets of uh, her dietitian. Awesome. Yeah. And she threw half out. Really? Because she was spiking too much. So can you imagine, you know, this, this, your, 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 she's now in training in Colorado for five months trying yeah. to qualify. And then there is, at the end of the season, there's this qualifying round. And I don't know if you know snowboard descent, but it's, uh, it's upper out, it's right? my favorite sport. <laughs> yeah, it It's is. upper out, you win yeah. or you lose. There's yeah. No, yeah. Right, so, and it's 30 seconds, but the qualifying uh, rounds are during the whole day. So you have eight, 10 of these rounds during the whole day. Mm. So what would happen if you, just before the last round, feel a bit hungry and you mm. take this apple? Yeah. You have this huge uh, sugar crash just during this 30 seconds. So you either break a leg, or, or you lose your qualification. Mm. So this is this is hugely important. Yeah, and looking looking forward then for, for you guys, um, you looking to partner with different health organisations with professional teams. Mm. I mean, where's the there is no ceiling, surely? <laughs> Something like that. No, that's why we're here. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, hundred percent. I'm uh, as I'm as I was saying, I'm fifty two. You know, I've been in several startups and and. Uh, this is the masterpiece, you know, I'm going to do this for at least another 10 years. Mm. Uh, and, uh, but, you know, the, the, uh, seriously, there are some steps, right? So this is what you could call the MVP. Yep. It's composed of third-party apps. And it's a high-touch program where we invite people over, etc. Uh, so next step is make sure that there is a, an app that, that helps people along this journey, yes. where you can find your okay. report, where you can have AI-based recommendations, where you can upload your DNA, so we can make even smarter recommendations, etc. So this mm. is the first, the first real step, including user growth, because the more users, the more, the better our AI gets. Yeah. AI has its cold start problem, where you, where it's difficult to start with two people. So mm. when, once you have hundred or thousand people, you know we're in business. Yeah. So this is our first, uh, our first uh, step. Next step then is when this little app contains your food print with a D, not with a T. You can connect to industry, to food industry. You can connect to delivery. You can connect to HelloFresh, uh, Unilevers, uh, Sainsbury's yeah. for personalized nutrition plans and home delivery. You know. Uh, after that, we foresee a future where we introduce new biomarker programs, and there are already um, there are already um, uh, biosensors, uh, digital tattoos in the market that, that that measure your brain activity, so we can help people with stress or with uh, insomnia prevention. Mm. So there are several several layers that, we, uh, that we're going to be active with. And, yeah. and we are, you know, that's the other thing about Enter. Their invitation, uh, they said, it's steep. And I'm still, I'm still on that slope. Yeah. So I could, you know, you're not building a, an, a business, an MVP to make that your business. Mm. 
I could stop right now and I could I could grow our user base a bit and we'll break even with our MVP in three months. Yeah. But this is not why we build a business. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm here today to make sure that we have the funding yeah. to go steep. We need more R&D, more AI in it, we need great UX and play the game. And then we want to be in the top top five, ten fitness apps somewhere in five to ten years' time. Yeah. Meaning that we have uh, around 10 million monthly active users just coming to our app, making sure that we, that they activate the programs that they are looking for and empowering them to make to make their own decisions about bio, bio about their own biology. Yeah. And we want to help people understand their biology so that they, they make more informed decisions about their lifestyle. Mm. And that's going to be it. That has to be has to bring great impact on, on society, but also on healthcare. You know what happens if you if you come prepared to your doctor, or if you don't have to go to your doctor. Yeah, that's the other thing. Absolutely. So this is where we are. And and other than the funding, um, what foreseeable challenges have you got to be able to scale this up? Biggest ones that you that you're thinking about right now. Well, that's a good question. I think that the first one, I, I, uh, the first uh, real nut that we uh, we want to crack is the retention mechanisms. So mm -hmm. we know that 50% of our people, of our participants, want to come back. We know for what they want to come back. They want to come back for either a recalibration of their diet. You know, they've done three months different things, and they want to, or they want to come back for a special, special on sports nutrition, or yep. special on diabetes prevention, or special on, on uh, uh, women's health. So how does metabolism interact with women in their cycle, post, during, pre-menopause, etc. Okay. Uh, people working in night shifts, you know, what do they have to eat to make sure that they're not boosted? Yeah. And that's only growing. <laughs> yeah. So I need, yeah, we need yeah. to, first we need to, uh, to, to understand this retention mechanism. What makes people come back? Mm. Uh, and then I think our second challenge is to make sure there's we boost the stuff with sufficient R&D and AI. So that that because now people are reading out their uh, the response to their diet and they're drawing their conclusions. But there's ha, there is more science out there that yeah. we can put in. Right? It's not that if 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 you re react well on an IPA that you should drink ten IPA. Right? Mm -hmm. So there has to be some bandwidth that people can play in, yeah. we need to install that bandwidth actually okay. in the app. And you, four months in with, with Antler, is that how yeah. long the journey's been? Yeah. Um, well, six months. Six four, months. And four months we're out there with the proposition. Four months you're out there with the proposition, right. okay. Um, and for you, what's been the, the biggest win or some of the biggest wins where you thought this could be the vehicle that mm. helps me reach those goals? Was there a point in that journey? Well, I think that especially in phase one, and that was the phase I was referring to previously, where we interviewed 50 people, and when you come back and you think, you know, I don't have a product, I don't have a product, mm -hmm. everybody has that, yeah. <laughs> which is not comforting, but at least they help you through it. And uh, I think for the most, uh, the most help I got so far is uh, is uh, uh, is from having a dedicated coach who sees you every week. Yeah. Uh, I know other programs. I've been mentoring other programs as well, you know, mentors all around the place, but this guy follows you every week. Right. And uh, and what I also like a lot about uh, about Antler is that um, there is no uh, formula by which success is created. Yeah. Yari sometimes calls it like an art. 
Mm. And it is because it's this strange interaction of three things. It's about content. What are you exactly making? What are you solving, etc. It's about the process. How do you get to a business? How do you get to that solution? How do you get to something? And it's about relationships. So how do you work with your co-founder actually? What's the chemistry? What's, yeah. what's up guys today? And that coach approached always our conversations in those three, from those three directions. Because, you know, I'm, as I was saying, I'm 52 years old. You cannot fool me with a process that you should follow and mm. then create a business, you know. Guys, when we've, all the, when we've filled in all these canvases, yeah, uh, we're done. <laughs> you know, I work for, for a bank in, in, in FinTech, you know. This is what we had to do there, filling in canvases. Right. You don't create business like that. Mm -hmm. so, so, but you have to create this, well, I'm a chemist, so you have to create this chemistry somewhere where something can, 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 can grow and can arise. And that's what they're really good in. Uh, and I'm happy that it's not a formula that uh, that they put on the wall. You just have to follow because yes. that's not how it works. Nice. Uh, well, look, I, I wish you all the best today. Thanks. Hope it goes well. Thanks. And um, I'd love to, um, yeah, keep tabs and yeah. um, see how you go. I, I find it really, really interesting. And, yeah. and again, if there's a way to let's speak to the athlete that you're working yeah. with, maybe we do a special episode just on let's do that. On, on, on you and her let's put it together as a special episode. I quite like to do yeah. that. I love this space. So um, You want to join as well, the program? Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah, I'd love to. And then I can document that yeah. as part of the thing. Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah. Next up was Navid Ardikanian, founder and CEO of Fusebone, whose aim is to produce affordable, custom-made, non-metal prosthesis implants that are designed specifically to patients and implanted using custom, non-invasive surgical navigation tools. So first of all, tell me a little bit about you and your business. Okay, so um, my name is Navid and I'm originally Iranian. Um, I'm a serial entrepreneur. I've had startups before in 3D printing, in manufacturing of, of water purification systems uh, for larger scale uh, water purification plants uh, and food and I exited some, so I also did an MBA back in Iran, but at some point I decided that I want to study first in Europe and second I want to launch my first international business. So I moved to Europe and uh, here I am. Uh, I am the co-founder of Fusebone uh, with my friend Shayan. he's also Iranian. Uh, we knew each other since we were studying engineering. Okay. And uh, what we do is that in very short, uh, we enable hospitals to produce patient-specific implants uh, on-site at the hospital. That's a good elevator pitch. That is literally about seven or eight seconds, I think, when you're saying <laughs> you what, so? what, what the fuse bone does. Okay, awesome. Um, and did you, were you already in Amsterdam when you heard about the Antler program or did you move here for the program? No, I moved to Amsterdam for the program. Did you? So, yes. From so, where? So basically, uh, when I came to Europe, I came to Europe one year ago. Mm -hmm. uh, I came, uh, so my landing spot was Milan. So I was first in Milan, uh, then I moved to Brussels and I was in Brussels uh, that I got to know Antler. And then I always was planning, so if I, if I want to have my business in Europe, it's, it's gonna be either in Amsterdam yeah. or in Berlin. Okay. So Amsterdam happened yeah. and I was super happy with it. And yeah, and here I am in Amsterdam. Very good. Um, and how have you found the experience with Antler? You, uh, 
four months in, did you say? So we are nearly six months in. Nearly six months in now. Yeah. Okay, and how's that experience been, would you say? Amazing. So yeah. considering that I'm, I'm I mean, I'm uh, an expat, literally, in Amsterdam, mm. and I wanted to come here to to start my own business. Uh, so that, that might sound super, super ambitious for somebody coming from Iran uh, to another continent, another language. Uh, basically, what Antler did was that they, they gave me all the, all the network, all the connections, all the supports that I needed to, to base my business here. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was a great experience here. And how, how, how did you hear about Handler? So it's a funny I story. I told you nice. that I came to I came to Europe to study. So I was uh, doing a business course, a uh, business program, a joint program between uh, Politecnico di Milano and Solvay Brussels the School. Uh, one day, one of my friends came to me and said that, oh, you have always been talking about having your own company and everything. Have you seen these guys? I, I, I found them on the internet. Uh, they, they were like this company generator. So at that point, Antler only had the first cohort of Singapore. Yeah. There was nothing much uh, happening around Antler. Uh, but I felt that it's, it's going to be a great opportunity. Why not? Uh, so yeah. that was how I got to know Antler. Uh, and how did you find the whole recruitment process? It was, I would say, if, if for, for somebody who has already been an entrepreneur, mm. uh, the, the, the process was very relative. So they asked basically questions that showed if you have the entrepreneur inside you or not. Mm -hmm. uh, they want to hire entrepreneurs. Uh, they are not hiring people to work here, yeah. um, but people to create uh, something. So the, the whole uh, process was around uh, how, how you approach entrepreneurship and uh, what you do as an entrepreneur in different stages of a, of a business. You've, you've, based on your experience, you found it relatively exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, I felt yeah. very, I felt very confident and very relative. Actually, the whole, the whole uh, conversation that we had at that time. I mm -hmm. think I, I, I talked to three, four people from Antler team, uh, yeah. in different stages, uh, and it was all very relative. And what's your experience been um, in the Amsterdam startup scene? Especially interested to know what it's like uh, back in Iran and. Yeah, so it's 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 uh, it's a very great comparison actually. So we have a very um, I would say uh, bright startup scene in Iran right now. So there are a lot of startups coming up. We have um, I would say less than ten, but we have uh, unicorns in Iran. So people are now like young generation are now looking up to those startups. Mm -hmm. uh, there is a lot of movement around different technologies. Uh, the sad thing is that we are not connected to the rest of the world. So these right. startups are always bound within the, the boundaries of the country. Mm. Um, but it's a very active, very active scene. Uh, mm. I myself got into the, the first startup weekend of my life when I was 18. And by that time, like I'm talking about 10 years ago, startup weekends okay. were happening frequently in Iran. So it was the whole movement was started at that point. Mm. Uh, and then I, I fell in love with, with having my own startup uh, in that startup weekend. So. Mm -hmm. um, but comparing it to here, uh, here things move, I would say, a bit more seriously, mm -hmm. uh, as um, it's not uh, a very young um, startup generation anymore. So we have big companies here. We have Booking.com as an example yeah. that are scale-ups. So they're now that huge companies worldwide. They're uh, active globally. So mm. uh, they're on a whole new stage. Uh, yeah. So it's a, it's a different experience. It's a more global experience. Um, and it, it, 
based on your experience, what needs to happen in Iran to um, embrace the rest of the world then? So basically, the, the, the Iranian startups are some of them, I would, I would definitely say this, so they're doing much, much better than some of the world-renowned startups here. Mm -hmm. uh, they are. They have, I would say, superior quality in tech, superior quality in service. What happens is that they are not connected to the world. Yeah. So we are not connected to the banking system of the world, so we cannot charge uh, other countries. Uh, we are not connected to the post system of the world, so we are not able to send anything outside right now. So all because of the sanctions, we are a completely isolated country in wow. terms of that. So even if we want to do so, we yeah. cannot do so. So that's, that's the problem. So that's Amazing. There's been some success stories given the limitations. Absolutely. Like we are we are talking Jeez. about we are talking about like we have we have a a a, a startup in, in Iran which right now they're much more than a startup but they are a I would say the Uber of our country. The name of the com company is a Snap and they have in 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 one city they have I think more uh, Ubers per day. They're I, I read somewhere that there are something around 10 million or 100 million rides per month or something like that. the numbers right. were crazy so yeah, they yeah. are everybody in the country are using these startups we're talking about fintech startups we're talking about lifestyle startups that people are using and they're great they're working the only problem is that we cannot communicate with the rest of the world yeah. um so i was also in that situation i personally am an engineer by education i, okay. I did uh, uh, business after that but as I'm an engineer I always was more fascinated about doing some something that is hardware related so I did anything I told you about uh, water purification technologies mm -hmm. which were mostly used in petrochemical uh, plants in the country um, to agriculture to vertical farming so these were the areas that I was very much more interested of mm. and then the the problem again was that you cannot scale the business. Mm. You will only scale a hardware startup if you have enough mass, yeah. enough sales. And you, how much do you want to sell in the in a country of 80 million people that all the borders are closed? Yeah. So that's that's the problem. And I, I wow. at some point I felt that I want to do something that has global impact. Um, so that was that was the reason that I moved. Which brings us nicely round to talking about your current business. So thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so when when did the idea come from for this business? Did it start whilst you were already on the Antler program, or was it something that had already germinated in, in your mind or your co-founder's mind before? It was actually a, a research of my co-founders. So okay. uh, he has been doing this research, Ryan, my co-founder. Uh, kudos to him, he couldn't be here today. Um, he has been doing this as a research for four years now, around four years now. Um, so when, when after our engineering school, I became an entrepreneur and he became a researcher in bone and joint. Uh, so he has spent all his basically life uh, after after education to just focus on bone and joint reconstruction. Mm -hmm. uh, what happened was that uh, so because of the same sanctions again, we are not we are not having access to the highest quality, the most high tech um, implants or prosthesis implants available in the country, or mm -hmm. if they are available, they're extremely expensive. Mm -hmm and patients cannot afford it, and insurance does not cover that much expense. Uh, so what he did was to find a way for patients who needed patient-specific implants but couldn't afford it. So basically he created this whole process of producing these implants in a much cheaper way, but at the same time with the same or higher quality. Okay. So that was the basis of this business. I have known him uh, doing this for so long time. Uh, I had a 3D printing startup uh, for a period of time. We helped him uh, with that 
Pixar 3D printing startup to for basically making a customized 3D printer for him at that time and everything. I always felt that there is something big in this. Mm. And when I had the opportunity here, we're in Netherlands. Uh, we are, uh, Netherlands itself is a very uh, fast, forward-moving country in healthcare. Mm. And then we have Germany on one side, we have Belgium on the other side. These are all players in, in healthcare market. And I felt that this is a great opportunity uh, to get together with Chayan and basically take this to a commercial level. Uh-huh. And was he on the Antler program as well? No, we brought and him in. Brought him in. Ah, exactly. So that's cool. that's also a, one of the cool features of Antler program. Yeah. Uh, we have had other also founders that did this. Basically, you have an idea, um, but uh, you cannot find the right co-founder probably in the cohort, but you can find the co-founder somewhere else. Mm. You can onboard them. Didn't know that. I've yes, something already. Yes, that's, that's Even as an advisor of Antler, I didn't know that. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great that's a feature cool of Antler. That's a great feature. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you were look, two of you were essentially looking to improve something that was already out there and also reduce the costs. Would you say? Both yes and no. And so new technology, would you say? Yes, uh, okay. on, the, on, the, on the side that yes, we are doing patient-specific implants. No, because what we are focusing right now are small joint implants. So we are talking about upper body implants, anything from elbow to wrist, fingers, shoulder. Yeah. Uh, which this doesn't exist right now in the market. So patient-specific implants for these uh, joints are not existent. Um, so we are the first company to provide this. And second is our distribution model. So what we are trying to push is that we don't want to produce the implants because producing the implant has a lot of overhead costs. Mm -hmm. All the costs related to your regulations, all the costs to, to basically quality control, packaging. What we want to do is to basically move the production to the hospital itself. So we have 3D okay. printing partners right now. Yeah. We have material partners right now that are able to print biocompatible materials that are implant grade, uh, which is a, an extremely new technology. We are doing also one part of the research on that ourselves. They have done some research, we are doing some. Uh, so we provide those technologies to hospitals and we enable them to produce the implant on site at the hospital. I see, very cool. So basically okay. what happens is that now we cut the cost on an implant. Mm. Uh, second, the patient will receive a patient-specific implant. Uh, the surgeon will receive a patient-specific surgical guide with the implant, so it's a package. Mm -hmm. So they can do the surgery much faster, much more precise, and they they can predict what is the outcome of the of the surgery, mm. and and also cutting the cost uh, for the hospital so because we are removing all the stocking, all the logistics of ordering and buying and all these things. Yeah, yeah. and then the timeline obviously. Is gonna exactly, it's going to yeah. tremendously uh, lower the timeline and everything. Yeah, sounds amazing. What what has been the biggest challenges that you've had to overcome in the six months that you've been on the program? So that's a that's a very good question. So generally, uh, when we are talking about healthcare, it's a very uh, I would say. Um, there are a lot of regulations that you have to take into consideration uh, because we are talking about human health. Mm. Uh, we are talking about people's bodies and something that goes inside people's bodies. So there is a lot of precautions that we have to take. And there is always, uh, we are talking about a very risk-averse industry. Uh, and what we, are what we are offering hasn't been done anywhere before. So it, it has a lot of risks that are unknown to, to everyone. Yeah. Uh, so our biggest, uh, basically, obstacle until now was to de-risk the whole process, mm. which we are doing. 
Okay. My co-founder has already done over 15 surgeries uh, back in Iran as a part of his research. Uh, and that's why we are confident that we can do this because these implants are already inside patients' bodies. Uh, I see, I didn't know. Yes, right, so if you've for got the, the proof. Yes, exactly. And, and, and uh, this, this already yeah. exists. And for the last three years, so the first surgery was three years ago, mm -hmm. and uh, the, the patients are living with these implants and yeah. they're working perfectly. So we know that this works. Yeah. Uh, but taking it now to a commercial level mm. uh, is, is a whole new story. So yeah. we are trying to do that. And, and what uh, some of the tactics that you're, you're, you're using at the moment, um, is it direct outreach to the existing um, Dutch facilities? Absolutely, we are doing one. that, exactly. Yeah. So we, we, there are some facilities in the Netherlands that are more of a decision maker for the whole industry uh, because they're leaders of, of, of mm. uh, a very certain type of surgery or a very certain type of, uh, basically, for example, orthopedics or this or that. So we are first targeting those. We are talking to them. Uh, we are having very in-depth conversations with them to see what are their needs, uh, what are their fears, and how we can help them overcome those and how we can fit our and our solution in the in their current ongoing system. Nice, yeah, yeah. okay. And has that been, when you mentioned before, with like Antler making some introductions, have you yet to do a lot of that work yourself or have there been like some doors that are being... It has been, it, it, I would say it has been a 50-50 effort uh, for both of us. Uh, so basically, Antler is not a focused kind of accelerator, if you call it an accelerator. Yeah. So they're not focusing one part of tech. Uh, mm. They have a very wide network of people that they will reach out. And there are sometimes uh, more people coming from one, one industry or another. Uh, in, in the case of our industry, it was not that I would say we had all the network that we needed, but we had the, the, a very great start, actually, uh, to the network that we needed through Antler. Okay. Um, and, and what have been some of the... Um, biggest wins since you've been on the program? Any of those moments that you've, that you've seen that, that you've got the traction, that you've started building momentum and you think, this is actually the vehicle that can help me reach my destination? That's a good question. I would say that since we started, we have, uh, we have been getting uh, wins constantly after one, and one after another. So that's, nice. that's uh, I would say it's, it's, partially it's because and I'm an entrepreneur and I'm a very, uh, a very optimist person generally. Yeah. So I see everything on the bright side of it. Uh, <laughs> but but uh, I would say one big, the biggest thing that we learned is that um, there are people uh, that are decision makers that are active in this field that believe in the vision that we have, um, in the vision that uh, there is a very day, there is a day very very close by that when you attend to a hospital, everything uh, from your peels to your bones will be made for you on site at the hospital, personalized for you. And it's a vision that we believe in and we want to be a leader of that market. And the biggest win for us until now has been that we've seen many people that believe in that vision. And uh, right now they're helping us achieve that vision. So that's, I would say, is the, is the biggest one for us. That's, that's a great answer. Um, and what does the future look like for you? How far can you look ahead? Some people I speak to, you know, from, from startups to like founders of billion pound companies and, and some people will have a five-year plan or a 10-year plan and, other, and others who are running, um, I just spoke to like Sonny Gupta who just sold Aptio for two billion and he only looks two years ahead, that's as far as he can look ahead. 
How about you guys? So I, I, I have a very same kind of mentality, but mine is a bit different. I always look five years ahead, always for everything. Okay. Uh, what I can see is that we are we are stepping into a, a an industry that is controlled by five or six companies, uh, literally. Uh, right. They're the they own 85 percent of shares of the market. Um, so worldwide or worldwide, wow. worldwide. Okay. So there are like five six yeah. companies that own everything in the market. They're very huh. active in uh, acquiring startups, acquiring new technologies, and they have all the means to bring these technologies to, to the world. Mm. Uh, so what I can see is that we would like to join one of these big companies in a day close uh, to basically faster, it, it, it will speed up our process of uh, delivering the service to, to the world. So that, that would be a big vision for us. But as I told you, the vision for our work is that to, to be a player in the day of personalized healthcare that is something that is commonly being done in every hospital. And we want to be in every hospital available for people to get service. And I'm sure you will. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time. I then met up with Myra Gleisberg, co-founder and CEO of RestbyQ, which empowers people to take control of their health with validated dietary guidance they can trust, developing a cutting-edge patent-pending technology based on proven science using breath print analysis and an intuitive app. Okay, so tell me a little bit about yourself and your business. So a little bit about me. I used to be a top gymnast since I was nine years old, training more than 20 hours a week. Uh, this means I always like knew what my body needs, how to optimize my performance. Mm -hmm. um, and like at some point, I was not always sure which had a bad impact on my health. I started struggling with gut issues like bloatedness and belly cramps and and sometimes I was in bed for hours with pain. Um, so, um, so I've been like on this search for improving my health and my diet like for years. Uh, and that has been a very frustrating, uh, um, sorry, it has been a very frustrating journey because there's so much information out there, mm. but there's not really a practical solution that helps you find out what works for you. Yeah. Um, uh, but because we have always been so focused on health, I really have a passion for helping other people live more healthy too. And this is where RespiQ, our startup, comes in. So we are uh, giving people health insights just by breathing. So we're developing a technology that can detect multiple disease biomarkers in your breath. Um, and these can give all kinds of information about uh, like cancer, diabetes, and yeah, okay. also food intolerances. And did you come up with this idea whilst you were on the Antler program, or is this something that you've, you've obviously been thinking about it for a long period of time? So it is actually uh, amazing. So I met my co-founder, uh, Vitaly Forkov, at Antler. Okay. And he's a mechanical engineer, and it is his technology. And we Got filed you. our first patent last week, so really proud of that. Yeah, that's a high. <laughs> um, and he basically brought the technology uh, in the end of the program. And because I, we really have a shared passion, like my passion for helping people live more healthy, mm. uh, we found each other. And okay. actually, before the end of the program, I didn't know that your breath contains so much information. 
uh, and I find it super exciting mm. that you can learn, that you, you can really do non-invasive breath testing um, to, to get health insights. Uh, I think that's just amazing. I think the only breath test I've ever done at my background <laughs> health and fitness is like the VO2 max or something okay, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or the alcohol blast test. Or that, that's yeah, what a lot of people yeah, know. Yes, <laughs> of course, now that one. Yeah, yeah. Now, and um, so... What, what it, I find exciting also about this is that we can uh, have a short-term plan uh, going to market very quickly with food intolerance mm -hmm. because this is an area where there are already breath tests being used in the hospital. So we don't need to do years of clinical trials. Yeah. And what we also found while doing market research is that there's a lot of people who want to take control of their health and they are struggling. Like one in four people are struggling with gut issues. Wow. So there's a big opportunity there. Mm. And then also down the road, what I what I also find really exciting is if, like when we create a lot of data and we can analyze a lot of breaths of people, we can create additional health insights. Yeah. And maybe even at some point, uh, diagnose cancer very early. Mm. And and this will like significantly improve lives and reduce yeah. healthcare costs and. So for me, that's just super exciting. Would that be like the holy grail? Yeah, absolutely, like absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just to rewind a little bit, when you found your co-founder, were you both already on the Antler program or was one of you brought into the Antler program to join? We, we were both at the Antler program. Yes. Okay, so you uh, found yourselves in that yeah. first four month? Uh, in the first week, week. we found each other. Did you? Because <laughs> yeah. I've met some people and it's been like after the six weeks, they yeah. still haven't found anybody. I think we're yeah. like the, the, the one of the few teams who like met and stick together. It must have been, And, yeah. and it's very unique, I, I say, because we have very different backgrands, very mm. different personalities. And, uh, and it works really well because we have such complementary skills and the same passion. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I would say we're, we're a very uh, strong team so far, going, going well. Um, and were you both already living in Amsterdam as well? No, my co-founder is Russian and uh, he's living in uh, Belgium. Okay. And so we're, yeah, we're meeting in Amsterdam. That's where I also have my family and uh, little children. So. Yeah, uh, nice, very good. Um, and what, what initially attracted you to the Antler program and how did, how did you hear about it? So it was actually a funny story. So I was uh, traveling for three months around uh, in Asia with my family, two young children. Um, we, were ha we had a sabbatical for a year. Nice. Um, yeah. So it was a, like a really amazing experience. Uh, how old and are your children? Just three and a half and two. Oh, wow. Okay, you're really young. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and so I got an email via LinkedIn from Yauri, who's uh, yeah. running here, the Dutch Ender uh, team. And, and I looked at it like, hey, this, this is actually just after I come back from our three months journey and the end of our one year of sabbatical. Um, I founded the startup before and, and I'm just really excited about healthcare and driving innovation. So I thought like, I, I'm just going to give it a try. Mm. And uh, that's what I did and, and got like really, I didn't expect to end up here, but I find it's really exciting uh, because yeah, I find it really exciting that we could have a huge impact on people's health. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And, and how, did you, how did you find the process? Um, was, it, was it easy? Um, very difficult. <laughs> I, so I think the first two weeks, uh, the Ender speed dating, founder speed mm. dating, um, Ender managed it very well. I'm, I'm an introvert, so I find it always challenging, this situation with so many new people. Mm. Um, but I, 
I enjoyed it. I think there are great people on the, on the program. Um, and yeah, I really like looking around. Even though I, I met uh, Vitali in the first week, I wanted to make sure that this is the right choice for me. Yeah. So really, um, it, yeah, I enjoyed it. Um, and then, yeah, in later phases, I think Andler, with ups and downs, gave us um, great... They gave us great guidance, yeah. and and specific. I don't know if you've heard of Andreas before. I do. From Andler people. Yeah, yeah Andreas. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he gave us great introductions, like to a super good um, advisor, Philip Seberg. He he brought six medical devices to market already, and wow, okay. he's helping us to bring our device to market. Uh, also, the guys that are helping us with the patents, he introduces to and more investors. So, and also, of course, the Ender local team uh, yeah. gave us a lot of support. So, very happy with it overall. Excellent. And and what stage um, is the business at at the moment then? So we've built uh, in the first two months. We built a lab-based prototype, and now in uh, the form three months after that, we built a portable prototype. Uh -huh. That means that yeah, that's like smaller than a laptop. Yeah. Uh, and uh, right, right now, going to do technical and medical feasibility tests to okay. make sure that it all works with food intolerance. Mm. Then we're building the handheld device with a design house, and we're planning to launch in the beginning of 2021, in just over a year. Okay. So and in that year, it sounds like you've got you've got a lot to do, but you've got that mapped out. Yes, Clearly. and we are also, of course, need to do uh, medical uh, studies, clinical yeah, yeah, studies. trials. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Um, and over, over the course of the, the last six months or so, then, um, what's been some of the biggest challenges that you've had? Have there been moments where you thought, "I can't see how we're going to overcome this," or have you always been like positive mindset, glass is always half full? Uh, I think both. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think um, I started with a lot of excitement and not knowing a lot about the breath diagnostic space and just knowing like there were there are some research articles showing that breath diagnostic that you can detect cancer so I just I mean I thought like we're going to conquer the world and do mm. that and then going deep diving into this I realized that the research uh, there still needs to uh, be more known about what are actually the biomarkers that we need to detect for cancer detection mm -hmm. and we realized also that for the technology we still have a roadmap to go so I became more and more aware of okay we really uh, uh, need to find the easiest and fastest way to go to market because via the healthcare system is quite complex and a long, long road. Yeah. Uh, so the chance that you survive with the money that you have is uh, much lower there. Mm. I, I'm very excited about the road to market that we've chosen right now to go with a consumer product yeah. in an area where the biomarkers already known. Um, I, I think also what was what has been a bit challenging for me to find the right balance between my children and my partner, <laughs> and my yeah, husband yeah. at home. Yeah. Um, they do not always like to see mommy go uh, to work. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I miss them a lot. Yeah. Um, uh, so that will, I think, continue to be uh, a big challenge for me because uh, I really, they in the end are the number one for me. Absolutely. Uh, so. yeah. And have, have they, like the eldest, started school now since you've come no, back? No, she's three and a half ah, now. So yeah, okay. Uh, so in a few months. In a few months, yeah. they just started yeah. school. Yeah, yeah, and she's yeah. really excited about that. She's. Uh... You know when they're ready. My, my girls are now nine and, sorry, 10 and 12. 
so uh, I can remember those different phases. And you yeah. know when they're ready to go to school. Yeah, I think. I think she's talking about it every day. Mama, when yeah. I get four, I go to the basis school. Yeah, <laughs> but that is the challenge, that, that life work and, um, you know, me and my wife again, we, there's never a right or wrong answer, but it, it is a challenge and you yeah. have to go, okay, so if this person now needs to work in the evening as well, then the other one has to go, okay, I'm putting the children to bed and, you know, we still have a family meal and it's it's challenging, but uh, yeah, I, I, th I think it, it teaches them quite good lessons as well, I think. Um, I, think, you work hard. I think so. Um, I think the key thing is I want to make sure that they see me enough that we spend quality time with not only my children but also my my husband and yeah. um, while building something really cool, mm. um, so that I can also show them exactly um, yeah yeah that you can really contribute in the world yeah. and that and also maybe an important part of that women can found businesses and be entrepreneurs and be successful entrepreneurs. I, I think that's very a great good. goal to have. Yeah. It is, and I don't know, Antler are doing very well in that space as well. Like the percentage of female founders they have is far above the, the norm in the industry, and especially tech, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely, yeah. So. Um, and, and can you put your finger on like any moment during the last few months where you've you've gone, okay, this, this business is the vehicle that's going to help me achieve these goals that I have. Is there like a moment or a series of moments? Do you mean Amber? Um, so with your business here, yeah, was, there, was okay. there any moment during during the last six months that you thought, yeah, this is the one, this is, this is the business that's going to be able to change the world or this is going to help me reach my goals? So I'm, I'm not fully sure if I understand your question, but what I see is RespiQ, our business of breath diagnostic, can have a huge impact. Um, so yeah, I do feel that with with what we're building, we could have a very big impact in the world. And, and was there? Um, did you think that straight away, or did it come? I, I think it went in ups and downs. <laughs> yeah, like, that, initially, that I thought like I didn't yeah. really know fully what what was known and research and how the, what the market looks like. So I, yeah. I really thought like you don't even need uh, to kind of have a business plan if you have this technology, you will conquer the world. And yeah. then reality kicked in. So then we're like, oh, okay, can we actually make this happen? And then, yeah, of course, you have a strategy. And like, so it really goes in ups and downs. <laughs> <laughs> and it will probably continue like that. Yeah. But it, it sounds like you're, you're very clear on um, what the roadmap looks like for the next year, two years, yeah. three years, what, what you need to do to succeed. So you, you're feeling confident. I feel confident. And I think the key thing is that um, it will depend on the investment that we can get um, will give us more speeds basically yeah. because in the end if we want to uh, do tackle other disease areas we will need to do um, research if we want to have data-driven health insights you know we need to create a lot of data so yeah um, for all of that we uh, yeah there's a great uh, there we have a clear uh, plan to market yeah um, and uh, yeah I'm really excited about it Good. Uh, that, I think you answered my last question, fully enough, which was going to be, you know, how, how important is is today and looking to raise investment to um, help you reach those goals for the next year. But I think I think you answered. Yeah, that. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is important, definitely, and yeah. um, and I think this is we didn't uh, choose one of the easiest uh, businesses because it's hardware and it's health tech. Mm. Um, um, so the 
this usually takes a little bit longer before you can go to market. And a lot of investors want to see traction. And they find that yeah. the hardware a bit scary sometimes maybe. Mm. Uh, but the good thing is we've already have several investors interested. Um, have so, you? Huh? Uh, okay. Prior to today. Prior to today, nice. and I hope, of okay. course, that today brings a lot more uh, yeah. interesting investors. Okay, yeah. so you've already had conversations? We've already had conversations nice. with several okay. investors, yes. That's good. Yeah. It's even more positivity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Amira, thank you very much indeed. Appreciate your time. Thank you very thank much. Thank you. <laughs> Matavest's co-founders, Maya Singh and Diane Delava, believe that if you're aged 25 to 30 and live in the EU, you should be worried about your retirement. The EU needs to add €2 trillion Euros every year to cover for the savings gap until 2057. They're looking to play a key role in solving this problem, building AI-powered smart digital assistants, which help you plan, save and spend for a better future. So both of you, just tell me a little bit about yourselves and then a little bit about the business as well. Sure, definitely. Thanks for having us first. Um, so my name is Mayur. Sitting next to me is Diane, my co-founder. And together what we're doing is we're building MatterWest. The vision behind MatterWest was to help digital savvy users to invest and save for what really matters to them. We are doing that by building an ecosystem for sustainable finance across the EU, through which you can actually access whatever access exists today in sustainable finance without downloading an app or too much of hassle. And that's the problem that we are looking to solve. Okay. Personally for me, um, started in advertising, moved to investment banking, so I'm that kind of a nutcase. <laughs> from then went on to business school, worked in Southeast Asia for the last seven, eight years. But the last three years have been focused on um, building startups which are at the cross-section of sustainability, tech and impact. Mm -hmm. And that's the problem that is at the core of my heart and I've been looking to solve. So I built a couple of startups earlier. MatterWest is really for me a combination of my training, which is finance, and something that I really want to follow as a passion, which is bringing impact to finance. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm doing. So. Nice. I'll let Diane take it over from you. Yeah. Hi. Um, so, yeah, I'm Diane. I'm from Belgium. Um, I have been building communities for the European Structured Dialogue and for the United Nations on Youth Policies for the last six years. Um, and my first startup was on water filtration. Uh, together with the MIT, we did a technology for, um, for Pakistan. But I wanted uh, to come back to my market, uh, to my part of the world, if I may say, and uh, build MatterVest because I realized that, yes, I was doing effort to consume sustainably. So I was eating less meat, traveling less, etc., etc. But my money was doing the opposite because my money was funding companies which I didn't believe in. Right. And that was also true for some of my friends. And so that's what I'm trying to do with MatterVest. I'm um, in charge of community and so I'm building communities to help people save more and save better. Perfect. And Maya, where are you from originally then? So I know there's a bit of an international flavor going on here. Yes, I've definitely. I've ended up Yeah. Show me that. <laughs> so, born in India, born in central India, grew up in northern part of India, in Delhi mostly. Uh, moved to Malaysia around seven years back and I've been in Southeast Asia since then. So me and my wife, we are in Singapore uh, for the last five years, I would say. Uh, so yeah, so I shuttle between Singapore and Berlin right now, but the team is mostly based out of Berlin, including me right now. Okay, and then you've come from, you're from, from Belgium, 
And you ended up in Singapore and now you're in Germany, is that right? Yeah, okay, I've got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like that's it. right. I think, and that's antler, isn't it, really? I think if you're talking global, yeah, then I you think... guys are a pretty good flavor of that. No, exactly. And I think we, I was joking once with Miss and then with ST later that we are a good example for the global approach of antler because mm. um, one thing to share with you is that we, as you know, that we started in the Singapore cohort. Yeah. We actually built, built a product for Singapore and the Asian market. We tested it, we failed quickly in one month, realized that the EU is a better market. Right. And we could not have done it without Antler. Because for Antler, it was a simple decision of moving us from Singapore to Amsterdam in terms of guidance, leadership, and everything. Right. And that is kind of priceless because culturally, uh, we come from different backgrounds, different mm -hmm. continents. Our third co-founder, Diego, who's not here, who's a fintech product developer for the last 12 years. Okay. Um, he um, he comes from Argentina. So we have three continents, hmm. met in Singapore, landed up in Amsterdam. And I don't know of a network globally which can help any one, any entrepreneur more than Antler to do that. Yeah, and, and how did you individually find out about Antler in the first place? Or did Antler find you? <laughs> uh, so actually, Antler found both of us. So we, Diane was for the first time in Singapore for a UN accelerator. The United Nations was running an accelerator. Okay. We met there, we were the same team. We pitched an idea which won the Antler Award. So this is last June when Antler was not even founded. Yeah. So I and Diane kind of joined because of that award. At Antler, we met Diego. So Diego brings in the third skill set, which is actually building a product, which I don't have, mm -hmm. although I'm a I'm an Indian who has no knowledge of technology. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so he solved that problem because we were working on a product around sustainability, but we were struggling with not having a tech co-founder. And that is the big thing that Diego brought to the team which solved it. Yeah. And how, how long then was it um, during that process, how long did it take for the three of you to, to find each other? That was very lucky. It was actually on day one. No. We were so, so lucky. Seriously? Yeah, yeah. So if That's you, a record, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. I don't know if Atla keeps a track record of it. They've got to. I bet you they've got to track that. There's a funny story. Around. Yeah, I think the funny story is about the fact that Antler did uh, fun facts. So you had to go around the room and you had a sheet of fun facts from every founder right. and you need to you needed to found each founder founders fun fact uh -huh. and my fun fact was that I ate raw potatoes nice <laughs> and so Diego came to me and, and said what are you doing like what's your fun fact and I was like that's not the game and so we discussed about it and he found out that I, I ate raw potatoes and found that that's so weird but anyways we discussed it and um, ended up on the topic that we both wanted to do something on impact yeah and then I introduced him to Mayur, and from week one we were a team, and we stayed uh, together since then. Wow, amazing! Yeah. And and. and uh, so how many months now are you into the Antler program? So we started in January. So January okay. RIC was end of March. Yeah. And um, so yeah, so this year, this year has been for us all about Antler. Because you said you so you've met in the in the June and Antler wasn't even Antler wasn't for so, July was. So it? that was the SG one cohort started on I think seventh of July two thousand eighteen. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, we joined on twenty or twenty first of January when okay. the second cohort in Singapore started. Mm -hmm. So both of us were offered to join the first cohort but it was kind of in 20 days since we got that award wow. so we were like yeah. we have things ongoing yeah. it's gonna be tricky so we spoke to Tyler at that point of time and said that 
can we join the second one? They were okay to do that, so yeah. that's how it happened. Okay, and and so talk me through yeah. where you are today then. What's so where we are, so we decided to pivot to uh, Europe around late June, early July, move to Europe early August. Mm-hmm. What we have managed to achieve since then is um, we've grown the community over here, so we have more than 2,500 people in our community of people who are looking to save sustainably, learn more about sustainable finance. We actually have people interacting with our chatbot product. So that's great in the last. But the two big things that we are doing is we are actually running a pilot with has which has a reach of around 150,000 users in Brussels, which is with a sustainable funds manager and their distribution network. Mm-hmm. And the second huge one that we managed to do is with a telecom conglomerate across the EU. They've entered into a partnership with us through which we are able to actually push the product through their telecom network. So okay. that's a big one for us yeah, because yeah. we want to build a community build community focused marketing strategy wherein we tie up with these communities, build the trust, yeah. but we want to scale it because we are a startup. Yeah. And the scalability actually comes for us through partnerships. I was going to say, you can scale far quicker. Yeah, exactly. Speaking to people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, very interesting. Um, and, and what was some of the... Uh, biggest challenges that you found you had to start with or was there a massive one that you didn't think you could get past I mean maybe not having the other co-founder who could build it (laughs) (laughs) no definitely but I think Antler solved that problem for us so that was easy Um, not so easy but easy Mm. Uh, the pivot was very the pivot was personally testing Mm. as well because um, uh, I have built all businesses in Asia yeah Um, I didn't know the Europe actually the first time I ever came came to Europe, which is not UK, um, was to build Matter West. Was it? Yeah. So so a lot of people are like, how cocky are you that you're going to this place and you're saying that I'll solve your savings crisis. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I was like, it's a business. That's the whole thing about a startup. I can bring in all my learning. Mm-hmm. But uh, the pivot was very, very tricky because we had to accept that, yes, we started working on something, build something, but we have to unlearn everything, mm-hmm. go back to research. Uh, the pivot also meant that we had to manage our cash flows, yep. which meant that we will not take salaries for a few months till we know that this is happening because that's our promise as a business to Antler as an investor or any investor that we are taking your money, but we're not going to spend it mm-hmm. on flights and bars, right? Yeah. yeah. So uh, taking those decisions was tough for us personally. Mm-hmm. That was a big challenge, but we surpassed that. Um, on the business side, uh, we are... We had foreseen certain challenges in terms of language because it's a chatbot product, uh, which we are trying to tackle right now Mm -hmm. because Google Translate is not good enough. Yeah, I'll find that out. Trying to put subtitles on videos. Exactly. Uh, So, so you need to have, um, you need to build a personality of the chatbot also in that language. Yeah. So that's definitely a challenge that we look forward to solving. Mm. We managed to do that in two languages so far. We are yeah. So we do it in French and we are doing it in German. Uh, So it's uh, available in. It will be available in those two languages in the next couple of months. Mm. French is already available, and um, building those personalities is actually definitely a challenge from a product point of view I think Diane can add more from community building and the marketing aspect there yeah Yeah, I think from community building um, people don't like to talk about their finance Mm -hmm. Um, and so the sustainability part is the hook but then when you talk to oh you need to change the way you're actually saving the way you invest 
that people just don't want to discuss. Um, And so we are trying to find ways in which people would discuss this. So it's more offline events, newsletters, rather than chat groups. and so that people actually feel trust uh, within the community. Um, and so that's one of the challenges that we have right now. Yeah. I think just to add to that, uh, one of the things that we found about sustainability was that people are still okay consuming sustainably. And people in general prefer to talk about consumption, right? Because yeah. Amazons and Alibabas have created a consumption driven model. Mm. So what we are trying to reinvent is how do we tell you to consume sustainability. So we go at a consumption interface or a consumption point and then try to divert them into savings. So that's not the first conversation. So for example, one of the things, one of the features that the chatbot has currently is it asks you, uh, which bank do you bank with? Do you know how sustainable it is? And we actually tell you very quickly and we piloted this product at a at a student's party in in Belgium yeah. and it worked pretty well. We got a lot of chats and we got a lot of follow-on questions and stuff. Mm. So we keep trying to these, do these different things but at something that you're already doing rather than boring you with how much, what job are you looking for? How much money will you make? When will you have a baby? Mm. Which is the traditional way a wealth manager or a financial planner will talk yeah. to you. So we're trying to reinvent that conversation. Okay. And I just want to add something because um, we had the Amazon forest fire um, in July and a lot of people were posting on social media on that issue. And actually a lot of European banks are funding companies that are responsible for the deforestation of the, fo- of the Amazon. Yeah. And so people don't know that their money is actually playing a role in mm, those fires yeah, yeah. and so getting to that level of awareness is our first um, journey mm-hmm. um, and when users know that their money is playing a role they actually want to know more yeah. but you need to get that hook and get the person actually get himself asking that question because mm. no one is no one is asking themselves where their money is going and, and do you f- have you found with the data that you've got so far that there's a, a massive discrepancy in, in the age range that people are interested in, in being sustainable? Yeah, it, it, it varies. So what happens is if you look at sustainability as an overall layer, there is a different idea of sustainability um, across different age groups. And uh, that is when you start getting into what matters to you, which is where our name comes from. Mm. Because we don't just say sustainable, we also try to link it to the issues that matter to you. So like I was giving you an example of, we can tell you which bank is sustainable for you. The next level of question it asks, asks you is, so what really matters to you? Do you care about empowering women, climate action, mm. lack of guts? And then there is enough data on the investment side of things to show you banks which actually are good at one thing and not good at another one. So you can actually link it to your value system which is where MatterWest talks about what matters to you. We help Mm -hmm. you invest in what matters to you. So you can actually do that. There is a variation in these themes as you go across age groups. So if you talk about 35 to 50, that's too broad a range, but their concerns are slightly different from what it would be from 25 to 35 versus, I would say, 21 to 25. Because before that, it's a bit tricky to talk to people. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And and how long does it take to to find out the information that you've got and you're you're programming into into the chatbots with regards to... 
how the banks behave yeah. that information is that so, difficult to get so uh, that's why you're up <laughs> because it's the information's available the grading has been done right. uh, to okay. a certain extent there is variations across different countries but uh, the target markets that we're looking at which is Benelux in Germany we have that data okay. um, so that makes it easier because it's basically a database at the at the back end okay. um, eventually as we get more information obviously we'll make it more intelligent but uh, the reason we love doing chatbots is that uh, it's easier to build new chat flows and we have a very competent guy at the back end Diego who can do it pretty quickly and swiftly so it's easier to test new things do a b testing with what people like and what they don't like and tweak it mm-hmm. as compared to having an app a full-fledged app right. wherein you need to do a particular release you need to plan for it it requires much more cost much more labor and it becomes much more tedious to do quick changes so it makes us more flexible in a way and with the partnership side of things and, and having to um, you know make that switch country countrywide um, how much of that has been down to you guys and how much help have you had from Antler with regards to Kelly? Oh, so the telecom partnership is because of uh, Andreas who connecting us okay, with the telecom Andreas, company. Yeah. So uh, as we were just talking about Magnus, Andreas, these guys are, I think, spending more time on flights than on their beds <laughs> at home in Singapore. So, uh, But it's, it's all because of them because they carry a pitch book which shows different Antler startups and uh, the telecom company wanted to connect with us. Right. And... Um, yeah, we took it on from there and ran with it. Okay. But uh, the first point of contact was actually built by Antler. Was it? Very good. Okay. Um, and future plans then, we yeah. talking earlier, how, how far in advance can you can you look with this? Um, do, you, do you plan for, for what you're doing? Yeah. What, what is it? Is it is it 12 months? Is it 24 months? 10 years? Because everybody's different. You tell me. Yeah. So I think we have a three and a five year plan. Okay. So the three year plan can be broken into the one and a half years each, one and a half years each focused on different modules that we're looking to introduce in the product. So today, what we're doing is we're linking you up, increasing your financial planning, increasing your, uh, giving you a lot of financial education, plus trying to craft a journey towards investment. These things is something that we're doing. Um, we will be a regulated company because we cannot recommend investment products to people. Right. So we're working with regulators in Luxembourg on that. So that part comes in in the next one and a half years wherein we get these regulations. In the second phase, within the three years, what we do is we actually create smart money management wherein the chatbot actually intelligently tells you where you can save by connecting to your bank account. Okay. And then it can actually scale up from there the amount of investments you can do because it helps you save. Mm-hmm. So, and that can also be scaled to messaging as well as voice interface. So you can ask Alexa, what's my account? How should I save? How much should I spend on the party tonight or the dinner tonight? So that's right. where it will get to. It gets very exciting. Yeah. That's the three-year plan that we have. The five-year plan is obviously to be able to scale it across the EU, wherein we start becoming more of a dream that we have of becoming an ecosystem mm-hmm. for sustainable finance okay. and how sustainable finance should actually be mainstream and not a niche mm. and not just for institutional investors, but also for retail. So that's what we are looking and working towards. Okay. And how, how important is 
is the is a demo day and ongoing conversations with, with investors for, for you at the moment? Then? So demo day for us, because this is the second one for us, actually. So Singapore was interesting because we were focusing on Europe, but what we did get out of it is a lot of leads and also a lot of focus, actually, because what happens in startups in the initial stages, having built a few, is that you really get lost in doing operations for the startup in the initial parts and you forget the big picture. Mm. You get demotivated and you give up. Uh, Demo Day helps to keep that uh, thing going. It's kind of a kick in the butt in a way (laughs) because you need to be at your best. You need to talk to people. You need to present yourself. And uh, I think Demo Day is a great place to kickstart conversations, uh, get the cars in, set up the meetings and take it forward from there. And um, yeah, for us, it was great because for us, Diane had done the pitching in Singapore, talking about an European user. And that led, gave us a lot of eyesights, actually. Our connection with Amsterdam started because Esty saw the video of Diane doing the demo day. And she's like, this is great, guys. It's amazing for Europe. Yeah. Let us know what we can do. Uh-huh. So it kind of works. The network, <laughs> yeah, the network grows ever wider. Yeah, it does. It, does. it definitely does. Awesome. Um, and anything else, um, like future plans you, you wanted to mention uh, while we're talking now? Um, anything else that comes to mind or...? Do you think we've covered everything when it comes to Matterverse? Uh, it, it covers most of it. And I think the only thing I wanted to say is the bigger problem that we're looking to solve is around the savings crisis that the EU has currently. Yes, good point. Yeah, yeah because... Yeah, uh, yeah. So then that's where we kind of started exploring what's happening here. Because uh, if you look at the savings crisis that exists, which is basically the pension crisis. Mm. So if you're 25 to 30 year old today in Europe, in many countries, you're not going to have a retirement benefit. And that's a fact. Like it's, it's becoming slightly more non debatable people don't like to talk about it because it's inconvenient but that's a fact um, so our genesis of this idea actually started from there and we were like there's a simple answer to this just save more <laughs> right but people are not doing it so then we were like okay why don't we try to find a hook which people actually trust and that's where sustainable finance came in so our research showed that people were willing to even sacrifice returns if they're convinced that the investments or savings are done in a sustainable way but the other side there is a huge influx of sustainable finance products and there's no linkage and that's where we want to play a role build that link so that they can access the existing sustainable finance products that are available because it's not just about investments your savings account your home loans your credit card everything can be sustainable and these products today exist in the market so we are basically trying to create that link and the two trillion per annum gap is something that I don't think we should be boisterous enough to say that we will solve. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know who can, yeah. because that's equivalent to adding a Canadian economy per year to EU for the next forty years, wow. which is not going to happen. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that's uh, that's the fact. But uh, we want to play a role in that because I come from developing part of the world. I can see income, I have seen income security lead to social unrest. Mm. And uh, that is what it will eventually lead to if this problem is not solved. And the world needs Europe because it represents a balance between US and Asia. So that's the bigger and the personal vision because of which Metaverse is very, very important. Well, I really enjoyed listening to it and I love to keep track of what you guys are up to over the Definitely. next few years. We'll keep and, you posted. Um, thank you. I appreciate your time. Thank you Thanks a lot, Alex. Thank you. Thanks for having us.
Now, with 11 startups pitching, I had a finite time to spend with these startups in between their pitches. I managed to speak to five, the last of which was supposed to be a 10, 20 minute chat, but which quickly escalated to well over an hour. Here is just a snapshot of that chat with Speechify's Tudor Mihalescu and Valentin Kasenig, plus their new secret weapon. This turned out to be highly amusing. Okay, so guys, so tell me, just go round between the three of you, just um, introduce yourself and then one of you maybe just explain the business. Sounds good. My name is Tudor Mihalescu. I'm a co-founder of Speechify and the CEO, was born in Romania. In my entire adult life, I've pursued just one mission, which is to give people a voice. Whether I was a political campaigner in Bucharest, challenging, challenging people's wishes to their political representatives, whether I built my first startup that was an online deliberation platform between citizens and politicians that got recognized as a Forbes 30 under 30 for that, uh, whether it was studying how American presidents write their speeches or writing for Forbes as, a, as their civic technology expert contributor. The current business, Speechify comes in the, same, in the same line. We help people share on social media about what they love. It's a word of mouth campaign tool, basically. Perfect. Hey, I'm Valentin Kasarnik. Um, I'm originally from Austria and I have a master's in computer science and that's how I got into the field of machine learning and artificial intelligence and also natural language processing. Um, I worked for five years as a software developer for industrial applications and was then also in scientific research for more than three years. And I, I was always curious about like how machines can learn from experience. That was always for me like a little bit like magic and, and that's why I got into the field and, and now I want to, to bring like all my experience that I, I gained in the last couple of years into our next, next endeavor um, of Speechify. Hey, I'm Andrei Gerge. I was also born in Romania. At 16 years, I started to learn at one of the most prestigious academies in France. It was actually based in Romania. It was a franchise of the France one. Um, and that actually made me discover the beauty of coding, not only to code, but actually to serve a purpose. Uh, later, about two years later, I started working at a startup. It was a social network, a blockchain-based social network. And I saw it rise from five people to 30 people, and then again to around two or three. Uh, this, has been for, this has been my life for the last three years, I think. Um, and I learned a lot in this process about what really means when developing something that not only that code is not the most important thing and that you must learn to wield it well, like a good sword. Uh, and this is what also made me uh, appreciate my collaboration with Tudor and Valentin, the fact that we have a good synergy together because we don't, they don't treat code just as a tool, 
but rather as a means to achieve something. To me, it's like an art, and and that really means a lot. I'm looking forward to see to seeing what happens next, and I'm glad we're here. Awesome, thanks. And um, how did you three guys meet? Were you all already on the Antler program together, or did people come from the outside in? No. So the story is, uh, I joined Antler in May. I joined Antler in uh, in May, thinking. So, I think my story with Antler basically <laughs> exemplifies why Antler is such an amazing program. Um, when I when I quit my previous startup, I took a year to finish my PhD, and then I was already thinking of building a new business. Uh, and I, I took a risk for it. I left my I quit my residency in Geneva after seven years and started working with a co-founder. It didn't work out, so I basically ended up back in Romania with no money and knowing that the, that startup didn't work out. So I realized a few things is that it's very difficult to find the right co-founders. Mm -hmm. You need initial capital for it and you also need the guidance to make sure that you hone your idea right. So I got all of these three things in Antler. So, Romania, no money, not knowing what direction to take. I had the hunch that there was a need for organizations to to use the power of their community members to, to raise awareness for what they do, but I didn't know exactly how to do it. So I joined Antler, started working with the team. They gave me the initial money mm -hmm. as a grant at the beginning, started yeah. working. I developed it further. At that moment, I started talking to Valentin. Okay. I did a PhD in speech writing, so he, did, he trained an AI system to write political speeches, and we started uh, speaking okay. weekly. Yeah. At some point, I, I, I spoke to many people in the cohort, so I realized what I wanted and what I didn't want from a co-founder. And at some point, Valentin said, you know what, man, I want to join you. Hmm. And I, I knew it, he was the right person. Yeah. Uh, and because I was part of Antler, he took the, the leap of faith. So he moved to Amsterdam with me. We worked together for three weeks. We slept in the same yeah. apartment, yeah. being at all times together. We pitched together to, to Demo Day and then uh, to the Antler Investment Committee. Mm. We got the investment and that's when this gave him basically the, the, the bridge to, to put his PhD on hold mm -hmm. and to, to quit the job that he had lined up at that point and to, to become part of this full time. So, that's how this started. Uh -huh. And how, how long into the program were you before you, you joined? <clears throat> so I, I only joined the program for the last three weeks of the first phase of the program. Yeah. So Tudor was there already for almost two months yeah. when they brought me, in, brought me in from the outside. And uh, so I didn't get like <laughs> that much like um, from from the, the the entire like how it was built up that the program no. and everything. Um, so in in the beginning it was quite a lot of me because they were already that deep <laughs> into mm. the program. Um, but Tudor did an amazing job in in like making me a part of of the the, the cohort, and I'm, I'm really glad I, I took this opportunity. And when did you come in then? How far into the program have, uh, have you jumped in? Let me tell the story a bit and I'll, I'll move okay. ahead. Uh, <laughs> Go on so then. when we were part of the program, me and Valentin were talking to different people. Even before that, the radio experience. <laughs> the radio coming in again. Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> and so, waiting for it to go wrong, of course, as well. But so we were asking people in the cohort, um, how much time would it take you to build the MVP for this? And people, experienced people in the cohort, right? Mm. I don't know, two weeks. So <laughs> you remember that moment? We were on a call and we speak. So one of my friends like recommended Andre, and we start speaking and we tell him what we had to do. And Andre looks at us and says. Oh, it take me three days. <laughs> and we were like, what <laughs> no the way. fuck do you mean? Was he right though? <laughs> so, and I, I was speaking to Valentin afterwards and I was telling, man, I do not believe this guy. I, he will not, it's impossible to do yeah. it. One of the things about Valentin is that he's very calm and like rational. He was like, I trust him completely. He also has an amazing gut reaction. He was like, yeah. I trust him completely. I trust him completely. I know he'll do it. I really like this guy a lot. It was like, yeah, but I want to see it. Mm. So he built it. He actually built it. Did you? Yeah. Uh -huh. And the way he explained it with me, with my minimal technical experience, I understood. He basically said, you know, there's this new coding like language. Mm -hmm. It's called Swift. And it basically, you basically put in one line of code and it codes a thousand. Really? Uh, and he's saying like, and I know it because I like new shit. So I just learned it like oh, really yeah. quickly. <laughs> and so that's that's basically the story. Now Andre can tell you his own perspective. <laughs> yeah, you can fill in the blanks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so in regards to the language, it's not actually something special about Swift. Just to be sure, because if there are other programmers that are listening to this, yeah, yeah. I don't want to make people angry. Uh, so of course I know about. All the high other high level languages is just I like Swift, uh, but it's the case with many other languages also. Just to be fair. fair. Um, now, truth to be told, there's something I did not tell you up on this tail point. Uh, I didn't build it in three days. I actually built it in 12 hours because I was lazy the first two days. No, get out of town. <laughs> so. Uh, I have to get history to prove this, but I was like, do I really want to work tomorrow? No, not the day after tomorrow. Yeah, I'll do it. I'll say three days and build it in the last day. Wow. So that's actually how that's it funny, went. isn't it? All the tasks, isn't it, that yeah. turn into the how much yeah. time you got left to do it. No, it, yeah. was, it was like a 13-hour sprint, so I worked nonstop for 13 hours. Wow. But it was fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay, and... and how long ago was that then in, in the timeline from you joining Antler then? Was that while you were still in the middle of that six week, initial six week program? So when this came up, uh, we had two weeks before IC. We were one of the few companies in the history of Antler that had the MVP launched before IC. And we had already generated 50 million impressions from two clients. So we had already generated maybe a hundred thousand worth of uh, of value before the IC. Mm, wow. Okay. And that's because uh, of Andrea as well. Yeah, uh, so, okay. Andre, Andre joined us as a, as our tech lead afterwards, mm. um, and that's that's how we, were, we basically came wow. here. And and how did you hear about Antler to start with? Then what was the initial? Huh, that's interesting. Is that word of mouth? <laughs> yeah, that is word of <laughs> mouth as well. That is word of mouth as well, and that's a, uh, that's an interesting story. Let me put it this way. 
before applying to Antler, uh, we know Jack Ma got rejected from McDonald's. They told him he wasn't worth it. I actually applied to another incubator and I got rejected for the lack of expertise, uh, not understanding exactly what the problem was. Um, so, and then my friends who are part of this space said, man, there's this new program that started. And what we know is that they have super capable people and they know how to recognize value when they see it. Mm. So that's why, that's why I applied. Okay. And I, I was just blown away. I've never gone, I've done interviews before. I've never felt more listened to in an interview than, than through the Antler process. And I just want to say this as well, the, the Amsterdam team is absolutely amazing. Um, I, I'm super grateful to them for, for everything. I wouldn't be here, to, we wouldn't be here today if they didn't believe in what we do. Mm. They didn't encourage us, right? I went to them, I said, hey, I found this amazing guy who, who's, who's the first person who built an AI system to write political speeches. And they were like, in the matter of a few days, they interviewed him and they, they brought him into the really? cohort. Yes. That quick? Yeah. What was it? Nice. Nice. Tell the story. How did you decide to come? And yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> How quick was it? <laughs> I, I mean, it took some time for me actually, because I, I like I had calls with Tudor like on a weekly basis, and he kept telling me about the progress he made in the program. That he was like talking to this guy, talking to that guy, and but he didn't really find the right person. And the more often we talked, the more I was like. Yeah, I definitely see the problem. I could see the, the opportunity, mm. and 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 yeah, it just get bigger and bigger in my head. And then at at some point, it was like, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. I really want to do this. I really want to be a part of this. And at that point, I knew Tudor already a bit, and I was like, okay, if someone can do it, then it's it's Tudor. So, <laughs> so yeah, let's do it. And and I, I booked my ticket to Amsterdam, and and. and joined him here for the, the, the last phase of, of, of the, the program. And, and have you found that maybe like one of you answer uh, like Amsterdam and like the startup community here and just moving from where you've been living before and just dumping yourself in a brand new city? How have you, have you got on with that? Um, I, it's a difficult question to answer in a way uh, because We've been we've we've experienced more the Antler community rather than the Amsterdam one. Yeah, good we're, answer. We're the only team in the history of Antler so far that got incubated in one place but actually incorporated in a different one, and that also tells a lot about the potential of Antler. Mm. Uh, in the first few weeks of me here, I met Andreas Bernek, who's yeah. one of the Antler partners, yeah. who has been more than a mentor for us. Uh, every step we took along the way is because of the advice that he gave us. So right. we met at the beginning, he was like, you have a huge market in the US for it, man. You should go there. So the entire Antler team here in Amsterdam and the one in, in New York worked together to make sure that we incorporate straight as a, as a, as a New York-based company. I've just arrived back from New York where I spent two weeks and where they opened all doors for us. Really? Yeah. So I met with Andreas uh, in a in a deli in uh, in Soho a week and a half ago, and he basically 
one hour afterwards she was meeting with a guy who knows a lot of people in the political and and ad space there and the guy just opened his uh, his book of contacts to us it's absolutely amazing mm. so that's why it's we live more in the antler community in the sense one of the things that we've realized is that because we have such a powerful community behind us uh, it's more easy to actually reach out and ask for help yeah 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 uh, yeah I, and I, I, the more people i speak to and i'm one of the advisors but and, I, and i've been speaking to people in like, singapore amsterdam but mainly london because that's the country where i'm obviously living uh-huh. um and you can just see like exponentially how it can grow and it's only 18 months into the not even 18 months i don't think yeah into the journey so very interesting um and talking about the business itself um any particular challenges that you've had to overcome or do you think like now with the three of you you're in a pretty good place to to, to move forwards with everything uh the question about challenges is super difficult to answer because in a startup you face challenges every day, every day yeah, yeah. um so <laughs> it's the biggest one then but you you got him on board so tick that box <laughs> i think um i think one of the biggest challenges is actually building sustainably mm-hmm. This is a conversation that we have among us every day. Yeah. Which is uh you're a bit between a rock and a hard place in the sense that you know that your business will probably fail in the next year. 90% of startups fail. So you need to move quickly but at the same time you need to protect your mental health and to make sure that you build a sustainable company culture. This is to me the biggest challenge that we're facing. How do we work well in instability? but in a way that in a way that makes us make progress and we've certainly made quite a lot of progress right? we launched it less than 3 months ago we had ten, uh, users from 164 countries who shared 10,000 posts and generated an estimated value of more than 1.5 million dollars for our clients how many countries users 164 Oh god, I've got like, listeners in 133 countries. I feel like disappointed, no? That's true of you. That that's because <laughs> that's because of our clients because that's how we work. The entire principle for what we're doing is we want to make sure that the companies servicing their clients well and the organizations with passionate community members don't spend a dime on digital advertising because their own community members do their promotion for them yeah powerful proposition so that's that's how it works and because we were talking before about what distinguishes us it's yeah. the assumption because there's our main competitors come from the referral marketing space mm-hmm. and Their assumption is links drive action. Which is if you give people a link, they'll be motivated enough to share it and have the brilliant inspiration to come with a post that will make their friends to click on it. Mm. That's just wrong. It doesn't work that way. We believe that amazing content drives action. Yeah. So, if you provide a a person with great content about what they love whether it's a product or a service or an organization or a cause they will be proud to share it with their friends mm. and their friends will be curious to click on it 
That's what distinguishes us. And that's why what Valentin is doing is so powerful. He was the first person in the world who trained a robot to write entirely new speeches based on previous congressional debates. And that it's I probably don't say it enough. I'm we had this conversation yesterday. Uh, I'm so humbled to to be sitting next to two people who can build technology that is so powerful and can be used for so much good. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think they should be speaking much more than I do. <laughs> no, I actually have something to to add to this. Chip in, chip in. Um, so at first, when we spoke, it was just about an MVP. There was there wasn't any discussion of going further with this. Um, for me, it was simply having fun at, yeah. at first, so that was interesting. But uh, when we actually started getting along really well, that's when I actually started considering to work together. Um, and as Tudor said, the most important thing here is sustainability, because I've been I've had a rough couple of years where because I like working and I'm motivated, I burn out every two weeks mm. and then I don't give anything for a week or two. Yeah. So in in long term, I actually have a super weak product productivity. I have super high spikes. Yeah. Um, and now together we've learned and we keep learning because there is much to learn here, how to build in a super sustainable way so we can be at our best every day. Mm. Um, I think Tudor really does a great job of of setting this high standard um, and I appreciate him for this. But that's actually Valentin's job. Really? So I wanted to say, so if the person responsible for setting up this culture is actually Valentin. Um, it came up in the discussion that we had and he's actually the one that makes sure that we keep the, the healthy culture going. I, I did not know this. So you, you've done a great job of relaying this information, <laughs> but I did not know that. Yeah. Uh, I really think we're like on the, on the right track and on a good way of, of creating a sustainable uh, um, culture in our company. I mean, for example, right, right now, like it, it was super hectic for us because we had demo day today. At the same time, we were running a campaign to to promote this event and everything. So there was quite a lot of stuff to prepare. And even in those hectic times yesterday, Tudor came to me and said, like, hey, take a break of an hour and just go to the gym because he knows um, that really helps yeah, me to, helps. to get my mind yeah, off. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. we had so much stuff to do, but but even there, I was like, hey. It's important for you. you. You should do that, and that's something I absolutely appreciate, and and that's that gives me the confidence to do, do, that I know I want to work with those guys also in the future. It's Be a tough one, though, isn't it? I was having this conversation yesterday with a friend of mine um, called Camilla Ainsworth. She was on one of the fight. Do you know the um, Apprentice TV program? Yes. So yeah. she was the losing finalist last year. She was like the the youngest ever finalist on it, and. Um, she was just saying, you know, always putting these posts out that are really positive and I'm working really hard. But she goes, you know, I feel absolutely burnt out. I've just had a day where I've accomplished nothing. And for the first time, I feel like I, I need to kind of share that. And I was just saying, look, don't beat yourself up about it. It happens to us all. But, you know, you're constantly seeing stuff by maybe people like Gary Venichuk or whatever saying you need to be working 24 hours a day. And if you're not eating, breathing, working, it's like, well, how can you have any kind of, you know, like, home life some of us have kids and we're married now you know and it's like trying to sustain a, a new business like that is tough 
it's really tough, but I, I'm the same as you. Like, it, if I go for a run, it will just clear my head, and the, the ideas that I have on that run will actually then fuel me for like another month or something and keep me going. Yeah, absolutely. So I experience exactly the same. So once in a while, I, I just need that to get my mind off and I, I feel refreshed afterwards and I'm even more productive. Yeah, afterwards. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I find that you're more productive. Yeah. I need to give Valentin just a prop now. So what don't, not too many people know is that Valentin is one of Austria's kickboxing champions. Oh, yeah. He had more than 400 fights no. in the last few years. Have you? Yeah. You don't look old enough. <laughs> That's a 400 fight. You're fighting every day. <laughs> Jesus, really? So I oh, think amazing, man. That's why I'm saying I think his wow. philosophy about uh, about healthy lifestyle, where you actually combine work with physical exercise, it, it's something really powerful. Me so, too. Uh, just yeah, yeah. tell us a bit more about this and how you see it. You're a real mix, yeah. you three, aren't you? Wow. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't want to talk too much about that. Um, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I'm doing kickboxing for, I think, more than 15 years. Started when I was quite young. Um, started also to compete in competitions pretty early. And, and right now, yeah, I'm, I'm part of the Austrian national team. Um, fight basically all over Europe. Um, also had some boxing fights in the US. Um, so that's also like a, a big passion for me. And you got to keep that going on. Yeah, you got to find a way that that works. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. absolutely. It, it's not that easy to, to combine those two things no. because both things require 100%. Mm. Um, but in, in, in the work culture that we create right now and that we that we're in right now, um, I really have a good feeling about it. And that's why I feel good about it every day, yeah. Nice, and, and tell me, um, like, where are you now with, with the business itself and how far are you looking into the future? We're coming towards the end of 2019. Everybody wants to finish the year strong sure. and start the year with a bang. Uh, where, where are you guys at at the moment then? So we've, uh, if we look back a bit on what, what we've done so far, um, we launched the, we formed a team at the beginning of July. We launched the MVP in late July. Today we've had we've been working with seven paying clients in four main opportunity areas, which is political activism, product referral, employee engagement, and events management. Now we're working with the first client in media publishing, basically assuring media sharing for large contributor networks. The reason why we've taken this approach is because we want to prove to investors that what we're building has a big application for basically any business or organization who has passionate community members or, or customers and they want to share the word about what they do. Okay. Um, seven paying clients, 10,000 posts in 164 countries uh, on Twitter alone so that you understand what this means. Uh, why we're saying we've uh, we've created for our clients more than $1.5 million in value. Only on Twitter alone, we've generated more than 200 million impressions. Big number. Uh, <laughs> clicks. Uh, we tracked uh, the clicks that were, that were generating all platforms and our clients come back to us and they report signups mm -hmm. and donations. Just to give you an example, we helped one small NGO 
raise $11,000, so real money in the bank, through 150 shares. So their activists are so passionate uh, about okay. this NGO that they went and they shared through our platform amazing content with their friends and their friends said, we'll pay for it. And they generated 11K in two weeks. Mm. So that is because yeah. to answer your question, uh, we're now raising uh, a bridge round uh, to make sure we start implementing the AI. All content right now on the platform is generated manually, okay. but very soon, and Valentin is <laughs> will be in <laughs> charge of that. Point, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, users will receive personalized content recommendations that are generated through artificial intelligence algorithms. Okay. So this, this is what we want to prove right now. We've proven there's a huge need for it. Yeah. Uh, all of our clients are paying now and we've already started implementing pricing models that are based on inflows of users, so kind of like Slack, uh -huh. right? We price for how many users can come on this platform uh, okay. and analytics reports. Yeah. Based on our current pricing models, the total addressable market in three of these opportunity areas is $4.5 billion in the US alone. And we have paying clients in every opportunity areas to prove that this is realistic. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I might, delete this afterwards because this is a se separate question but so event management mm -hmm. okay so yesterday I, I signed a deal um, with these guys called Festival of Enterprise in the UK okay so um, I did the podcast for their festival at a venue called the NEC National Exhibition Centre in mm -hmm. Birmingham in the UK mm -hmm. so next year they're doing that again in October but they've doubled down and they're doing Olympia in London in April oh, the two biggest fuck. venues in the UK they've asked me to curate the content for both events so it's like 150 speakers for each event That's like 90 cool. sessions for each one so I was saying so how would that like I said I'll probably delete this uh -huh. but tell me um which it sounds like a, a good referral for you guys to work with, mm -hmm. with these guys. So that would be amazing. To directly so, so how would it work? So mm -hmm. explain to me, it'd be quite a good one, explain to me the process, because um, we're literally starting tomorrow and going, we've got five and a half months mm -hmm. before this event goes live. And the, the nice thing from my point of view is that I've been doing events for four years, but they're paying events. Mm -hmm. This, the beauty of it is, is that it's free to people to un to attend. Uh -huh. So we've got like Facebook, LinkedIn, Google, or all the sponsors who underwrite the cost of the event. Nice. All the, yeah, which is nice. So <laughs> all they want, of course, is people coming through the door uh -huh. to look at the content that they're delivering live. Mm -hmm. So I've got people, you know, like uh, Lord Billamoria, who created Cobra Beer. So nice. I've got him speaking. I've got like Piers Linney from Dragon's Den. So top quality speakers, uh -huh. how would it work then? So if I introduce you to these guys, uh -huh. how would we get, say, they want to grow from, say, 4,000 attendees in October mm -hmm. to go for, say, 6,000 attendees in April? So the way we usually work for events, we have three components. Uh, we have a pre-event campaign, we have a during event campaign and uh, and one afterwards. Okay. Pre-event and we've done it for Epicenter, which is we're going to the after party right now. Okay. And they can actually vouch for it because yeah. we started working with them in Amsterdam and now both their Helsinki and Stockholm uh, uh, centers want to use us. Nice. So the way it basically works is before the event you have people who are signing up for it. And they usually, if they're signing up for it, they know it and they want to refer their friends to do it as well. Yeah. 
uh, what happens usually is that you send them an email and say, hey, once you sign up now, just refer your friend to it. Yeah. And But people don't really no, do it, no, right? Exactly. What we what what we do is that once once you launch that invitation for people, then you would they would land on our page and they would see beautifully created posts that express exactly how they're feeling. I've signed up and they're done in a personal voice. I've signed up for this event because of this. And this is an amazing photo. Now, this is, you know, uh, Reid Hoffman speaks about the seven deadly sins of, uh, of social media. We're actually focused on pride and ego. The reason why people share is because they're proud of what they're sharing and they know their friends will click on it. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing here. We're creating okay. amazing content and people are like, fuck, I'll just share this because it's amazing. Yeah. It's the same thing here. And we managed to, we can, uh, we've managed to draw quite a few clicks. I don't have the statistics, but I can, I can show them to you where people basically signed up for the event because their friends shared it. Now, the best one is actually during the event. Uh, and I was speaking about this on stage earlier today, right? So when you go to an event, it's usually social media is the biggest temptation and the biggest distraction. <laughs> because on the one side, you're like, I'm at this event and I'm the only one of my friends here. So I just want to share about it. And I also found a really cool company. So I just want to tell them about it. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, you, you're scrambling to take the right picture. Most of the times it's blurry because you're like, ah, I need to do it now. You, you're struggling to come up with one liner that is really clever about what you're seeing. And then remembering the right hashtag. Mm. Well, we do this for you. This is, that's the nicest thing about it. The, the event organizers are doing this anyway. There's, there's a company in London called The One Young World. Do you know them? The One, the one Young World? No, okay. They're basically the World Economic Forum for Young People. So every year they put out an event where they invite around a, t- a thousand young leaders from all over the world. They have a team of 25 interns who are doing three things. They're taking quotes from the speaker on the stage. They're taking pictures of them. Nice. And then, but but here's the funny thing: they're only sharing. They're they're doing all this work just to share it on their own Twitter account. Yeah. And last year they generated three million impressions. I'll give you a counter example. So, <laughs> uh, last week we we had a Twitter uh, uh, storm with one of our NGOs. Uh, in three hours, gen- they generated 40 million impressions. Uh, that, that reached 11 million people. Just 200 sh- uh, sharers. Just imagine if you have high 500 of them. Yeah. That's basically That's it, nuts. right? Okay. All of these people sitting in the crowd are dying to share, but they don't have the right content. Mm. There's a mismatch. All, all the organizers have the right content for them, but they're just not sharing it with the participants. Yeah. That's how it goes. And the powerful thing there is this is that each one is like a two-day event. And what happened this year was year day one was really well attended. Mm-hmm. And day two wasn't very well attended. Huh. So for them and they want to please the Facebook and LinkedIn uh-huh. and now they're going I think today they're in Dublin meeting like Instagram guys nice. and all that so they're getting really good uh, like Mercedes had like a massive space with all their cars they've got really good sponsors who are underwriting it and uh-huh. designed to put the, the speakers in the right subject matter for them to talk mm-hmm. about but essentially the bottom line for them is not just people registering for the free ticket but 
telling their network about yes. it, so they turn up. And you're more likely to go if one of your friends is going, oh, I'll go Absolutely. with you, we'll share a ride. Da, 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 da. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Right, well, I'll introduce you to those guys. When I Yay, awesome. <laughs> and then, That's how Antler works. And then Antler, after yeah. the event, and Valentin, I think you know the statistics for this. The, the way it usually works is you want people to download the pictures from the event and also share it on social yeah, media. Yeah, you get that afterburn then. Yes, yeah, yeah, because you've created so many pictures. The way most event companies right now do it, they either post it on Facebook and they ask people to tag themselves. Yeah. Or they do a, a, a website where people just go and right yeah, click on it. That's right. Yeah. Uh, Valentin, do you remember what stats we got in terms of downloads? I think we got like 100. I think we got like um, close to 200 downloads from from less than 30 users that were on the platform. Right. So people were they they really wanted to see the pictures and they really wanted to download the pictures and yeah. and we just provided them for them and made it easy for them to share them on all major social platforms. It's removing the barriers, isn't it, and making it easy. Yeah, for yeah. That's what it's all that, about. That's all about it is about. Yeah, yeah making yeah, it easy yeah. for them. Very interesting, guys. See opportunity. It is, right? <laughs> win, win, win. Yeah, because my responsibility is obviously to please them by filling the, the event with good speakers and good content. And they want to please the sponsors. And the key is to get more, because they've got something ridiculous like a database of five million emails. Oh my fucking God, that's amazing. That's it's the best insane. thing for us. It's insane, right? But they... The I get so excited was, about that. The event was three weeks ago. Okay. And we only sent the survey out yesterday because they're so disorganized. Oh, wow. And I'm, I'm like, the, the director's going, well, that's a fucking waste of time even sending it now. Three weeks after the event, you've lost everybody, haven't you? And the next one's not till five and a half months. So we've got to wow. build. And we've only got probably, what, you know, three or four weeks before people start switching off for Christmas and New Year. That's true. And then you lose everyone for three or four weeks. But then you've got a real opportunity from middle of January through to since April. since you're speaking about email lists yeah this is actually our ideal client our ideal client is organizations or companies with large databases of users okay so they've got three years worth of data oh as well so, yeah. the reason why that is i'll give you another example we're working with uh with uh with a company i'm not sure if I'm allowed to mention their name, but I'll say they're one of the leaders. Orders, by the way, the, the middle bit. <laughs> they're one of the leaders in the uh, in identity verification solutions on blockchain. So th they have a database of a million users. They're bringing 2,000 users on our platform every month. Oh, okay. And they're basically saying, hey, we'll give you a reward in cryptocurrency if you refer your friends to sign up to the wallet. The uh, the share per user rate is 0.9, yeah. which means that out of 100 users, 90 of them share. Yeah. And it's easy for them because it's an automated referral campaign, right? So they share through an email the link to Speechify with yeah. a big share button. People click on it, they see the content, and it's automatic. Yeah. It's ongoing. You don't need to do much. You just change the content from time to time, and that's it. Okay. Do, um, that was 
I don't know if you know this guy. He's a guy called Brendan Kane. Oh, uh, no. He wrote a book called How to Get a Million Followers in 30 Days. Okay. So he did the campaigns for like Taylor Swift, Rihanna, you know, like Nike, Disney, Adidas, etc. Big, well-known, similar level to like Gary Vee in the States, but like a... Huh. Softer talking, less angry small man. <laughs> um, really cool guy, doing very, very well, clearly. And uh, my interview with him was all about, he was just saying, you know, you don't need to spend this money. You, you just need to spend your time creating content that people will share because just by them sharing, I'm preaching to the converted, but I'm just telling you what, what he told me. Um, but you know, it's the quality of the content to make you know make one good post in a week, not seven shitty pieces that you feel like I've got to get it out, I've got to get it out, I've got to share it. And now here's the interesting thing about it: <laughs> in the future, we'll take care of that for you. Right. We already know, and Valentin can explain how we're already doing this. So we learn from our sharers what they like to share. Got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in the future, you'll be able to, a campaign organizer will put in a line of text and that line will become personalized. It's surrounded by fluff. So one of the things I really appreciated about Val what Valentin did with his algorithm, there's a rule in speech writing called less ideas per square thought, which means when you speak, you have one idea and you're surrounded by a lot of fluff. Mm. It's words. Mm. Valentin's algorithm did this amazingly well. So in the future, we'll be able to, the, the main idea that your organizer will, will put in will basically be personalized for every user, depending on their location, depending on what's trending online on social media, or even their own voice, uh, so that we help them write these better, right? They'll receive a post and then they can customize it forward, right? But the, the campaign managers won't have to write that themselves. Yeah, yeah. That's powerful, Ren. That's time saving and money saving. Well, and all those things. Do you want to come into this? Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Chip in. I mean, um, there is. Okay, let me start with this. Um, so when I, I trained my AI system that, that wrote political speeches, I was looking at what are the differences between, for example, Republican and Democratic speeches in order to do identify patterns, mm -hmm. whether there are different patterns for the different parties and whether there are repetitive patterns. And the same is here. I can also um, categorize all the posts that are out there on social media, whether they are successful or not successful, whether they got like a lot of number of likes and comments or they, they were just ignored by their followers. And, and by looking at only the, the successful posts basically, we want to identify the patterns that make a post successful and using those learning points to improve the, 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 the content of our users. So that everyone will be like a successful online communicator. Mm. Everyone will have a personal writing assistant, basically, yeah, yeah. that writes really good, high-quality posts for them. Mm. Maybe they will add the, the, the final 5% to the post, yeah. customize it, give it their personal touch, but we do basically all the, the, the hard work for them. It's music to my ears. What, I, what I've always struggled with is like the actual copy. That is what I struggle with. It's no, you know, it's kind of no shit luck when I say that to you guys, obviously. But yeah, that's what I. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Because writing a good post takes time. It also requires yeah. requires skills. Um, yeah. You have to know and understand your audience. Mm. 
and and we just want to make this this whole process way easier. And is there? This is the bit that I stop editing. Is there people out there doing what you're doing, but not in the same way? I'm guessing, or not as potentially as su successful. So, this is um, this is what we're discussing on stage here again. Um, most of the most of our competitors come from the referral marketing industry, uh, and they've. They've really created amazing systems that allow you to track where the links are going. Uh, even have scoreboards. They're all of these platforms where you say, hey, you're going up in scores and we can share, check where your links are going. <laughs> but none of them provide you with the right content for it. Hmm. It's really this. Yeah. Um, there was a platform before us that actually was the pioneer in the crowd speaking space that was called Thunderclap. Okay. Uh, that was basically allowing uh, people could sh could give their social media credentials to an organization, and the the platform would post on behalf on their behalf at one point in time one single message. Again, but that was super spammy because people would share the same message. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's that's where we're coming in, and we're saying, hey, like the the industry has progressed so much that we've really facilitated the sharing process, but there is something wrong here, which is a, a deep insight into human behavior. If you made it easier for people to share links, that doesn't mean they'll actually share them, because mm. that's not the reason why they're sharing them. It's the great content that allows them to do so, yeah. and it, it gives them the motivation to do so. I was like, it's, it's so we, we signed up for, for Brex, which is the, the credit card, uh, uh, there's a company in the US that does credit cards for startups, right? Okay. And once you sign up, it's the same thing that PayPal did t 10 years ago. They basically give you $500 if you will refer a friend to join you. Uh -huh. But to do that, they give you a unique referral code. You need to copy it from the email yeah. and basically share it with a friend and tell them, hey, this is why I want to share this. It just takes a long time yeah, yeah, and no one will yeah. do it. No. And this is actually what Valentin realized was like, if we're getting $500 to basically share a link to a friend, yeah. <laughs> that, that, that means that they know that that is the only way they can actually make us to share stuff. Yeah, throwing money at it. <laughs> Even though we joined Brex because we know it's the only, they have amazing, obviously probably you did this too, uh, they don't take any commission for startups. So you pay as, you, as much as you spend. It's an amazing value proposition. I would share that easily. Mm, but just making it too difficult. Yeah, yeah. And that's where we come in, yeah. right? If someone, if, some, if they in the future provided us with a text that actually put the emphasis on this, hey, I've just signed up for Brex, and they actually take no commission from startups. We pay as much as we get. Mm. You guys should, should use it too. Yeah. We would easily share that. Mm. Because we want more people to find out about it. We know there's so many startups who are in the same position. We have friends who are in the same position, but yeah. we don't have the time to actually refer people to yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, right. L last question. I'm going to finish up. Um, so, end of 2019 now, looking at 2020. Um, do you guys focus on one country, or are you literally just going, I'm looking at global? <laughs> All right, back at you. <laughs> okay, so... I can tell you the 
the startup correct answer and the real answer. Real answer, yeah. <laughs> sure. So the truth is we have a lot of connections and because the startup is at the beginning, it makes more sense to actually use our connections to get the clients. To leverage, yeah, yeah. And we have part of our connections in Europe and part of our connections in the US. So within the next six months, we'll just call everyone on our ad address book, whether they're in the US or in Europe. I like it. We'll get the long-hanging fruits, which are the early adopters, the most passionate ones. With the next investment round, once we've finalize this we'll get a we'll, we'll, we'll get a structured approach in the market that makes more sense which would probably be the US because that's where we're going okay okay um, and anything else I haven't covered that you want to mention by the way um trying to think one so one question that people usually ask us is okay but well, so you're helping people write, so isn't that less authentic? Which is a very interesting question. Yeah. Um, we live in a world where people put a premium on language. If you speak well, everyone will hear you. But we miss out on the ideas. The people who speak the best don't necessarily have the best ideas. And we see this in ghostwritten books. People who have a lot of experience to share usually don't have the time to write those. That's why they get yeah. ghostwriters to write those ideas. Mm. We want to do the same with real people. There's so many untold stories out there because people are not heard. They don't, don't know how to express those ideas. In our world, we put a premium on people's experiences and we believe that language is just a vehicle to get there. It's exactly as Valentin was saying earlier. That's why we write for them mm. because we believe that we, we should empower them to talk about their experiences and their stories even though they may not know how to write them yeah no, that's really nicely put actually that that is the soundbite there that's good excellent well listen i will um lots of lessons learned there this is meant to be thanks, 10 Alexa. minutes just keep going yeah no brilliant thank you guys thanks um, Alex. and thank you so much. i've got your email haven't i so yeah the easiest way is when i get back be Friday now I'll introduce you to the directors for the Festival Enterprise awesome. just have the conversation yeah and I can obviously speak well on your behalf anyway but I'll just say I think this could be a very interesting way to get them to their goals far quicker than the usual method I'll be I should be in London the next two weeks anyway so oh, we really? can even meet in person oh, brilliant I'm in London every I don't live in London but I'm in London every week so they <laughs> live in London where do you live? so I live in a place called Poole on the, but Bournemouth, you might have heard of. Sort of I, the I lived coast. in Portsmouth for a year and a bit. No way. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, Portsmouth's not far. Yeah, really. Yeah. It's further along the coast. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, nice, okay. <laughs> Bournemouth has much nicer beaches. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've got nicer beaches. Yeah, uh, yeah so the, these guys live in Victoria in London, like oh, right nice. by Victoria. That's where the, the new offices are. Mm -hmm. So, That's um, yeah, that could be quite interesting. Cool. Thank you for your time, guys. Thank you need you so to go much. speak Thanks to some more investors, I think. <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate it. And So to follow the stories of these startups and to find out if they got investments and whether they go on to become one of the next tech unicorns, just go to antler.co for all the latest news. And if you've got a combination of inner drive, clear spike and grit, then Antler are currently recruiting right across the globe for their 2020 cohorts. With locations from Stockholm to Sydney, you're sure to find one near to you. 
So I thoroughly enjoyed my time in Amsterdam. Massive thanks to the super friendly team over there uh, with Esty and Hayden, who really looked after me. Um, already been in touch with um, Pete Hein from uh, Clear um, with regards to getting on their program. Those of you regular listeners to the show know that I'm super, super interested in um, my health and my fitness, having just done 75 hard. I am gearing up to do that again in January 2020. If you'd like to join me, drop me a message. Um, and just enjoy being part of the whole Antler family, really. Loved advising startups from Singapore to London, um, mainly through podcast and audio. Um, and yeah, I never thought at the start of this journey when I interviewed Magnus um, that I'd be producing my first podcast course, um, which is now just launched on avid.fm. Um, but hey, life's full of surprises and I'm super glad that I did. Um, it's been amazing um, people who've jumped on there and we're already into week one. Um, so if you'd like to join again, go to avid.fm um, or drop me a message at Alex Chisnell on LinkedIn um, or Alex at screw it, just do it.org if you want to revert to email. But um, I hope you enjoyed the episode longer than normal, but five stories, five startup stories um, from Antler's Amsterdam Demo Day. Hope you enjoyed it and I gave you a flavor um, of what it was like to be there, um, getting ready to pitch for investment into your brand new startup. If you found value in this free podcast, all I ask is that you tell somebody else about it. You don't have to leave a review or write a post on social tagging me in the screw it, just do it hashtag. But if you do, I promise to give you a shout out on a future episode and you have my eternal thanks. I'm at Alex Chisnell on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook, plus at Alexander Chisnell on Instagram. Alongside the Screw It, Just Do It Facebook page, this houses the Screw It, Just Do It community and has the most up-to-date information on all things Screw It, Just Do It, including all of our live events. I love hearing from you. If you either message me on LinkedIn or email alex at screwitjustdoit.org, I promise to reply. Just give me a little time.